You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series, Reason versus Faith and Emotionalism, by Aaron Smith, recorded as part of Ayn RandCon Europe 2022. So Ankar just concluded uh, saying that, you know, for objectivism, uh, there's, there's guidance that you're being given to say that reason, you need to accept reason as an absolute. Um, and it seems a little odd. My, I always do this, but I don't have my wedding ring on right now. Um, it seems a little odd, I think, in this time, we're in the 21st century, to have to kind of get up on stage and make a defense of reason, I think. I mean, if you, if you look around you, I mean, everything in this room is man-made. Literally everything. Everything in the room, everything above you, below you, on you. Everything in your pockets. Everything including if you're wearing makeup, how you get this from petroleum. All of these things are so obviously, so evidently the products of thought. Um, you, if you, so, so a lot of these things we don't really think about. So I've got this little, I like this little sport coat. It's going to get this funny lining, but... I don't know how to make a weave, for example. Like, I mean, I don't know how what like what goes into the process of actually making uh, fibers from plants into or or animal fibers and stuff into a weave. I don't know that I would ever figure this out in a lifetime. Like, I, so all of this. I mean, forget like electricity and we're live streaming. Uh, or I, what always surprised me. I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like. Our former president, uh, I think George Bush, got some flack. I think he went to the grocery store and they're scanning things, and he was like really surprised. Oh wow, let's go! But you know, when you <laughs> when you when you swipe when you swipe your credit card like at a gas station, you know, and okay, you've, so you've got some sort of I don't know magnetized strip or whatever it is, and you swipe it, and somehow it communicates with a satellite that then sends a signal to your bank which kind of figures out how much money you have, and then you kind of can transfer, and somehow you've got gasoline. And it's the idea that you have to get up on stage and then say, we should follow reason. It seems a little weird. Like, what else are you going to do? I mean, it seems like this is do a rain dance. Like, it's, it's, it, but it, it's not obvious that you should, that reason should be your absolute. It's not, it's not obvious that that guidance is correct. Um, and it hasn't been obvious throughout history. Uh, and there are reasons for that, like non-silly reasons for that. Uh, what have you heard? So why, why can't you follow reason? Why shouldn't you follow reason as an absolute in every aspect of your life? Well, there are some aspects in life that, well, reason can't figure out the answer. So reason is limited in some kinds of ways. There are, answer, there are questions that we need to ask that are important. Questions about life, questions about you know, how everything got started somehow, questions about the me ultimate meaning in life, whatever it is, that there are questions that are outside reason's uh, purview. Uh, and so it seems like those questions, we need quest answers to those questions, and yet reason can't, allegedly, answer those kind of questions. And so, you know, maybe we need to revert to something else, whether it's emotions or it's faith or something else. Um, and historically, there's been, and I think for good reason, a real question about what the relationship of reason is to emotion. So emotions are an ever-present aspect of our life. It's like you, you would you'd never say, well, we don't, have, we don't really have emotions. I mean, they're an ever-present aspect of our life. They have a certain kind of motivational force, right? So they kind of tug on us. They incline us in a certain direction toward things or away from things. 
They depress or deflate us in certain ways, or they excite us and motivate and push us. So, there, so it, seems to, it has seemed to many philosophers that, um, I mean, my specialty is in ancient Greek uh, philosophy. And so, I mean, if you just read what Plato has to say about this, it's understandable. So it's, on the one hand, I think that this is what I should do. On the other hand, my emotions are, seem to be pulling me in another direction. I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. And so it seems like, and there, either you can multiply examples of that kind of phenomenon. Uh, he gives the, Plato gives the example of Odysseus. You know, he comes home after many years is trying to get back home, and he gets back home, and um, there are all these suitors trying to court his wife, and, trying, and they're, they're living off his property, and they're being horrible. Um, and uh, Odysseus, he, uh, this, is, this is a story from Homer, you know, uh, and he said he struck his shaggy, whoa, I struck his microphone. <laughs> there were no microphones. He, he said he struck his shaggy breast and beat his heart, you know, because he was angry, right? It, and, but he thinks, you know, something more like, you know, revenge the dish best served cold, you know? So he's like, I can't just rush in there and kill them all, which is what I want to do, because I'm angry, you know? Uh, and if he were to act on that, it would be just to act on his anger. But he's thinking, no, let me think about how I want to plot this out. You know, I'm going to come in there under disguise, and I'm going to, you know. So it's there's this contrast between thinking and feeling, and emotions have a strong force on us, but so does thinking. And so there's a question: of What is the relationship between these? Are they two different motivational sources? Like I can consult feelings, and they give me a kind of knowledge; they give me a kind of guidance. That's one source. Uh, and then I have thinking, and that's another kind of source of guidance and knowledge. And we just have these two things. Sometimes we should follow reason. Sometimes we should follow emotions. So you, there's this whole emotional side of man that you can't ignore. And so then there's a question is, well, do you follow reason in everything? Or sometimes you, should you follow emotions? We always hear people talk about career and stuff, you know, follow your heart, follow your heart, right? And there's something to that in the sense that don't ignore your emotions. If you really think this is something I'm invested in, this is something I'm really in love with, something really passionate with, don't suppress that because your parents are, well, it's not very practical. And so, so there's a sense of like, don't ignore that. But there's also something problematic about the guidance, um, which we'll say that. I mean, if it really is, you just, I feel something and I'm just going to go for it, you know, without doing the thinking. There's a question of like, how, 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 uh, how rational is that? Um, another, another thing which makes it not an obvious issue to just follow reason is, uh, what is reason? And that's, that's not remotely obvious either. So, I mean, if you want to put it, uh, I mean, I think it's generally recognized, even going back to like ancient Greece, you know, when you're talking about reason, you're talking about your capacity to think, right? To grasp the natures of things, to grasp causal connections between things. It's your capacity to think, to, make, to form judgments, assemble arguments, to proceed logically from premises to conclusions. And so there, there's an awareness of it's the, it's the capacity for thought. Um, but there are other questions that people have to ask uh, that depending on your, on what we're talking about, it's, it, it, there, uh, objectivism has a theory of free will. It's not just an acknowledgement, yeah, we have choice and we move on. There's a whole theory about how to conceptualize free will, what's the nature of free will, how does it operate, what's its relationship between choosing between content and choosing between, the, are you going to engage in the processing? There's a whole way to think about that. And there's so much debate over the history of philosophy about the nature of free will. 
So there's more to it than acknowledging it. Uh, and similarly with objectivism, there's more to objectivism's view of reason than just, yes, reason, you know, thinking, that sort of stuff, follow it. It's what is reason? And if you look at, uh, I mean, where would you look in objectivism to tell you what reason is? I mean, in the literature or whatever Ayn Rand's written. Uh, what about Ayn Rand? Yeah, okay, well, that's one source, but I, I was happy somebody said that. Uh, so ITOE is an acronym for her book, uh, Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology. So it's a book she wrote um, talking about her theory of concepts. So that whole theory of concepts, I mean, her view of reason is that it's your conceptual faculty. It's the faculty that functions by means of forming concepts, integrating your knowledge in conceptual terms, identifying the natures of things, integrating that with everything else you know, and so on. But it functions by concepts. Well, the nature of concepts, um, what concepts are, what they, how they're formed, uh, whether they're just subjective products of our decisions or whether there's objective means of reaching concepts and saying, no, this is how you form the concept, this is, a, this is a, a correct concept versus this is an invalid concept. That's a big issue in philosophy is how to understand the nature of concepts and what conceptual knowledge is. Uh, can concepts be objective? You're opening up a big, huge philosophical issue that's being been discussed for you know, centuries. So it's not just follow reason, it's you need to have a theory of what reason is, how it functions, what its products are, how it operates, what's the relationship, like what is logic? Like that's, I mean in objectivism, that's the method of reason. So there's a lot of issues to cover. So it's, there's, if you're interested in this issue about, um, you think reason is important. Uh, I mean, there are books being written about this now. You think like Steven Pinker or something like this. I haven't read a lot of his stuff. But it's like uh, there's, a, there's a certain kind of emphasis on reason and we need to get back to reason. Um, but you, it's not just, okay, now we know what reason is, now we can move on. There's a lot of disagreement about what reason is. Just take one of the major issues uh, in, in, in the history of philosophy, you know, Plato and Descartes and a lot of major thinkers. You could say that reason is the faculty that functions by means of concepts. Um, well, a lot of people think that many concepts, if not all, are innate. So we're born with not just a conceptual faculty, not just with a faculty to form com co concepts, but we're already born with a bunch of knowledge. We're already born with a bunch of conceptual knowledge, and then thinking is just a matter of applying those. Um, so I mean, objectivism rejects that perspective. But, so there's a, I'm just opening this up because there's a lot of questions that are not obvious and take a lot of philosophical work to try to sort out. And there's a lot of disagreement uh, across the philosophical spectrum and across history about what reason is, how, what concepts are, how, it's, uh, how they're function, can they be objective or subjective. So it's not just, I'm pro-thinking, go do it. It's not remotely sufficient. So there's a lot of material in objectivism that you should be thinking about it. If I'm gonna be an advocate for reason, if I'm gonna be a champion of thought and some of its major kind of uh, um, achievements, things like science and stuff, you have to know more about what reason is uh, to be able to defend it. Because you go into a philosophy department and you'll be disarmed very quickly. Because there's a lot of difficult questions uh, that come up about what's the nature of reason. Uh, Kant is pro-reason. Kant says, you know, that uh, uh, reason is your faculty of concepts. 
But then he also thinks that the, uh, many of these key concepts, not all of them, but many of these key concepts are built into the structure of reason such that whenever we try to think about the world, we cannot but use those concepts. We cannot but apply those to the nature of the world. But then we think the nature of the world is, you know, cause and effect and there's substances and things like that. No, that's not, there's no reason to think that. That's just what reason paints onto reality. And then we sort of have a completely distorted view of reality. What's your answer to that? Right? So there's a lot that goes into being a defender of reason and, and really being able to uh, be a champion of this idea that reason should be an absolute in your life. Okay, enough on that. I just wanted to say that this is not an obvious thing, uh, although it seems like, oh, why, why wouldn't you go by reason? <clears throat> and looking at other sources, uh, other, other, other alleged guides and alleged sources of knowledge. Let's move on to that, because the, the talk is, uh, what is it, reason versus faith and emotionalism. Let's talk about faith. <laughs> Let's talk about faith. Uh, <laughs> George Michael, get him up here. Um, Faith, I, so we live, so again, I'm talking about all this scientific achievements and all this sort of thing, but we live uh, in a world in which there are billions of people who take faith seriously. And we're not going back to primitive times and so, but it's a regular aspect of how people live and function. It's a regular uh, feature of how people populate their ideas with, uh, populate their mind with beliefs. It's how they, in some ways, how they hang on to beliefs, often really important beliefs. And so there's a question, what is faith and is faith compatible with reason? Uh, in life, do you, some things you need to go by faith and, some, uh, and whereas other things you need to go by reason? Uh, I mean, I know people who are, uh, you know, I have relatives, for example, who uh, in one area of their life, they function, they, they function by reason and in other areas of their life, they function by faith. And they just, you know, so what is it, can you do those at the same time? So what is faith? Now, I'm, to, I'm addressing faith from the perspective of epistemology. Faith is a perspective of this is a means of acquiring knowledge. Not, I mean, if you look up the Catholic encyclopedia and you look up faith, you're going to get 19 different definitions or something. And it's completely confusing as to what it is. But I'm just talking about faith as a means of uh, holding ideas. Um, and I think the best way to put faith is that um, faith is ex the acceptance of the truth of an idea uh, on non-intellectual grounds, on emotional grounds. That's what I put it. And you can, I'll, I'll put it in another way and then I'll come back to that. Um, faith is acceptance of an idea ir uh, irrespective of the evidence, without evidence, in contradiction to the evidence, or irrespective of the evidence. Like it doesn't matter what the evidence shows up, doesn't matter what new facts come to light, doesn't matter what the arguments are like. Um, I think ultimately that amounts to accepting something on emotional grounds because you want to hold on to it. Um, of the many troubles with <coughs> faith is that faith it cannot distinguish between the true and the false. So there's no methodology to faith. Like, reason has logic. That's the method you follow. So you start with observation. You look around you at things that are self-evidently there. Um, and you uh, make inferences. You grasp connections between things. You have to logically connect. There's a method. There's no method to faith. Um, so there's no, you can't really go right or wrong in that sense. Also, uh, so it, it just here's an example. I think there are three gods. And I hold that on faith. And you think there's one God. And your, your basis for that is faith. 
Now what do we do? Which of us is right? Let's sort that out. Let's sort that out right now. What's that? What's that? Average to two. Average to two, yeah. <laughs> it's three and one. But no, how would you sort that out? Uh, with faith. Faith is our tool now. Let's work. Let's work with the tool. There is no way. There is no way. So now somebody might say, no, hang on, hang on. Theologians have done this many times. Um, God, is, God is a perfect being. Perfection is... Oh, that's funny. Perfection can't have an equally perfect thing, otherwise it wouldn't be the topmost perfect thing. So there can only be one God, right? Well, now what, now what are you doing? Now you're bringing in reason. You're bringing in your capacity to think. You're, you're, saying, you're trying to sort out, well, you might not think that's a very good process of reason, <laughs> but it's, it's, this is the nature of the item other things uh, would, uh, if there's another one that must be a contradiction, you're trying to bring in thought. You're trying to bring in some sort of um, process of thinking. So in, and this is true of any attempt to defend something on the basis of faith. You have to bring in reason because you don't have another tool. It's not, reason isn't one tool in the toolbox, as sometimes religion, religious people will say. It's like, well, reason is one tool in the toolbox. Faith is another one. We have other ones. It is the toolbox. So reason is the only means of reaching knowledge. It's a fundamental aspect of objectivism. Reason is your only means of gaining knowledge. There is no other means of gaining knowledge. You can use faith and just accept something on trust or irrespective of what arguments or evidence are there. You can do that, but it's not a means of gaining knowledge. How would you establish that it's knowledge? Oops, I have to bring my means of knowledge to bear and try to argue that, you know, I mean, there's lots of ways in which you can try to use reason to establish, let's say, the existence of a God. But then you have to use reason. You have to say, well, there's all this stuff here. It had to come about. It couldn't have just hit. An infinite regress is impossible. There has to be a start or whatever it is. You can come up with arguments. But then reason, you have to bring your capacity for thought to bear. And then you have to look at those arguments. Are they cogent? Are they, are they you know, and so on. Um, <clears throat> but faith... One of the dangers, and I think the, the main danger with uh, accepting things on faith um, is that it's one form in which you subvert reason. So to take reason as an absolute means to follow it in every aspect of your life, on every issue, no matter where the conclusions lead. And if you allow yourself to say, well, on some issues I'll do that, but if I don't like the results, I'm not going to do that. Um, then you're just saying, I'm going to disconnect reason from this important aspect of my life. And I'm not going to try to integrate this with what I know. I'm not going to try to have any sort of rational grounding for it such that I can say I actually understand it. Because if you understand something, you don't need faith to reach it. So if you understand that 2 plus 2 is 4, you don't need faith. You don't need to believe it on faith. Um, and if we move from something like, and you can ask us more about questions about this in the Q&A, um, but if you move now from faith to uh, emotions, emotions are great. Objectivism is 100% pro-emotion. Uh, partly emotions are an important aspect of human nature, as reason is an important aspect of human nature. Um, and yet there's something similar uh, uh, with regard to emotions uh, is that 
what emo objectivism's view of emotions is they are they're the results of your judgments so that they they're generated by the kinds of judgments that you have so there's some kind of um, uh, if you if you if you think that a, a, a truck is you may you think that a truck is headed toward it's going to hit somebody on I almost got hit by one of those big red double double decker buses I sort of stepped out and was like well but it's if you think a truck is, is coming going to hit you and your judgment is this is bad for my life like I'm going to get hurt like if you didn't if you were Superman and it didn't really bother you you wouldn't get triggered right but if it's uh, you get you could experience fear uh, right so the idea is emotions come from the fact that you make a, some judgment about what the facts are and some you have some evaluation of that fact significance to you and to your life so if you um, uh, you lose a job for example you're gonna feel um, sad or dejected right well depends that depends was it a job you didn't like and you were didn't have the courage to leave the job you were just sort of putting one foot in front of the other and then it turns out look I'm glad they finally made the decision for me. Do you feel relief or something like that or whatever? So it's not, it, there's no one correct emotion that you'll get out of it. It depends on what your judgment of the facts is and what's your evaluation of that facts in relation to your life and your values and so on. So um, emotions have cognitive roots, if you want to put it that way. Emotions have roots in your judgments. So this is why you can't go by your emotions. Uh, to go by your emotions is to go by what I remember going by whim. You know, it's acting on emotion where you don't really know the basis of the emotion. You don't know if that an emotion is an appropriate response to the situation. You're kind of flying blind, um, which is one of the reasons why you want to try to get your emotional life in harmony with uh, rational judgments about the nature of the world and about uh, uh, values and so on. Um, so to, to, go, to go only by your emotions is to go by products of your thinking. And so you have to when you when you when you when you when you uh, when you experience emotions and they tug you in a certain direction, you, you if you, you have an obligation to to yourself to think about why am I feeling this? Um, should I be acting on this emotion or not? And in some cases, yeah, great, act on the emotion, but not blindly. So figure out like why am I feeling this? Why am I getting so passionate about this? Uh, should I be angry about this right now? I'm getting really, why am I getting so angry? Um, calm down. Has that ever worked? But anyway, uh, but <laughs> in the history of man, that has never worked. No, but if you ask yourself, why am I getting so upset about this? And sometimes it's not always clear. Is it just that I'm under a lot of pressure? Is it that you're kind of some bubbling resentment that you've had against someone for some time. And you know, it's a, you have to dig under that and find out, are those judgments correct? Because I'm getting these, as Ayn Rand puts it, they're like printouts you get from your computer or um, pop-ups or something like that. They pop up, but they pop up from certain causes. And then you have to find out, are those judgments valid under, underneath them such that it's okay to act on that emotion, but just not blindly. So, so when objectivism counsels that uh, reason is an absolute and you need to follow it in every aspect of your life, period, in part it's a recognition that you don't have an option, that we don't have an option. You don't have a valid alternative. Faith can't figure out what's true or false. Faith simply subverts your ability to think about what's true. Emotions, they tell you that you feel something, but they don't tell you why you feel that or whether you should feel that or whether you should act on it. That takes a process of thought.
of digging underneath the emotions and figuring out whether the judgments, uh, uh, whether your judgments are valid. And that's all going back again to a process of reason. So there's no, there's no legitimate way to escape the need to follow reason, though people do it all the time, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not going to get you anywhere. So uh, I want to keep this short so we can have plenty of time for questions. So let's just end it there. Yeah, let's, um, okay, well, yeah, you first. Yeah, go ahead. It's a question for Ankar. Mm -hmm. What do you think we have to research or understand to create like an artificial consciousness with free will? Is it possible? And what would be the elements we would have to understand first? I mean, there's so many. I think that the understanding of the brain from the point of view of the brain and nervous system from the point of view of how it generates consciousness is there's a little bit known about that, but there's so little known that that's part of the investigation. And it, I, I mean, I don't, I can't specify that you do these five experiments of these five research projects and so on. It, it, it's, we're at the exploratory stage. I mean, I don't think we can even say for lower level organisms, which ones are conscious or not. So I think it's obvious for a dog or a cat is conscious. When you start to go below that, um, is are insects conscious? It's not easy to, to make that determination. So we, we can't even do that, let alone research into the, the, all the specifics of a human consciousness, including the fact that it has free will. So there's so little known right now that it's, it's a very interesting area of research, but you can't prescribe what the research is going to look like. I mean, that's what it means that it's an exploratory state. So you can't sit in an armchair and say, well, do these five experiments and do these five research projects and in eight years, you'll have the answer. Okay, thank you. Yeah, um, So it's a question about uh, reason as an absolute and uh, Two other reasons, that main reasons that I see, or I think I see, about why people reject it other than emotions. Uh, the first reason is how I think many people equate the voice in their head as reason and as thinking, despite the fact that that voice many times tells you stuff that are irrational. So they see that it's irrationality and they say, okay, I cannot trust reason because of those words in my head. And uh, the second thing is, um, is how much of life is, uh, is, is, is skills that we need to learn that are not really tied up with reason. Like I need to learn how to throw a basketball. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing. It's something else. And uh, I wonder how would you comment on these uh, two reasons? Yeah, two things. One is I mean, the issue about the voice, and it depends on what the voices in your head are telling you <laughs> as, as to what the issue is. But if what, but if what you mean is, you know, you're, you're in a meeting and you're kind of tired and you're kind of half paying attention to what's going on, but you basically kind of hear, somebody makes a proposal and your first, the first thing that pops in your mind is, that's a stupid proposal. It just, that's what pops up. It's, just, it's a quick 
thought. It's a quick integration that your, I think, is your brain makes an effect, and it just you get a pop up. It's a, it's a it's not something you've been processing and you're thinking about, and you thought, yeah, this is a, if you think long range, this plan's not going to work because A, B, and C. It's just that's dumb. It's yeah, well, that's not always rational, right? Because it's not really a, it's a result of a process of thought. Thought is an active, directed process where you ask yourself questions. You're looking for answers. You're asking, like, is this right to think about it this way? Why do I think that? That's a, it's an active, directed process where you're trying to reach a goal as opposed to something that just occurs to you uh, in the moment. Yeah, because definitely if you just ran by whatever happened to occur to you at the moment, and even if you, it will occur to you in conceptual terms because now that you have language and, you know, you, you, the little pop-ups are often in, in sentence form in effect. Um, but that wouldn't be what it means to follow reason. So, yeah, you couldn't do that. Um, the other issue, uh, sometimes people call this uh, the distinction between knowing that and knowing how. In other words, knowing how to ride a bike versus knowing you know, that a bike has two wheels. And so, and so they make a kind of a distinction between um, the knowledge, which is the process, knowledge, which is the knowledge or a skill, which is the result of a process of thought versus a skill or knowledge, if you want to put it that way, um, that's a result of a lot of physical activity and not the process of thought. But I don't think you can, dis you can separate out the thinking. Uh, there's a lot of thinking that goes into playing basketball, though a lot of it's, uh, you know, um, kinesthetic. You know, you have to shoot, uh, but you have to know how to shoot. Somebody has to teach you how to shoot. You just don't, like, look. Um, but you have to know, you know how to hold the ball and so on. So there's a certain kind of, and there's a reflection on, why didn't that work that time? Do I need to stand a little further back? Am I not following through? And there's a lot of thought that's involved in learning any kind of skill like that. Though it's true, uh, and I used to be a coach, not basketball, because I'm terrible about basketball. But yeah, a lot of physical repetition to sort of get something, your body to understand that this is what it, what it involves. And so to say you need to go by reason doesn't mean you just sort of lie in bed and think. I mean, you actually have to go engage in these activities. Um, but again, learning about understanding that fact is also a product of reason. You know, understanding that there are certain things that you hit. The pianists talk about this. They, they play a lot and they talk about getting, the first time I heard like Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto, I was like, there's a lot of notes. <laughs> like, that's complicated. Like, how does anybody remember this stuff? Like, that's impossible. And they talk about, the pianists talk about getting a piece in their fingers. In other words, they play it again and again and again, and it just sort of, it becomes more natural to play. It doesn't mean it's something other than reason, but it, not everything is just from thought. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Aaron, you talked about uh, in the beginning that uh, emotions and reason, uh, as if they're two different separate things, basically. But then you say you do have to consider it and do have to evaluate your emotions. Um, do you think there is room and possibility to, to have an integrated feeling reason relationship and is there any point where you can actually trust your feelings yeah i think you can definitely trust your feelings but it's but it depends on the feeling and it depends on the level and this goes back to your free will talk it de de it depends on the degree to which you are in the driver's seat and thinking and you're a thoughtful person and you know why you feel what you feel uh if 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 somebody i don't know I don't know, insulted my wife or something, and I got offended. It's not like, why did I get offended? What's, what's wrong with it? It would be like, no, I know, I know why. You know, but there are other cases which it's, it's not clear to me why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. This used to happen to me when I was a kid. Sometimes I, would, I was like 9 or 10 or something. Sometimes I'd feel really down. 
like kind of, not like super depressed or anything, but just really down. And remember, he used to just sort of bother me and sort of baffle me. And then my only way of getting through that was sort of like, I always, what, the next day I'd wake up and I was in a different mood and I was fine and I'd move on. And I started, I started to realize that, I grasped that when I was about 10, I was like, and then I wasn't worried about it because like, I know it'll be better the next day. It just, I don't know why that is, but it happens. But that's, but I don't know why I'm feeling what I'm feeling and kids are like that often. No. But when you're an adult, that you can have experience that same phenomenon. Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know why I'm feeling what I'm feeling, or I think I should be feeling this, and yet I don't. I'm feeling something else. And that's when you need to engage in introspection. It doesn't mean that's a simple or easy process. Uh, and sometimes, depending on how deep the problem is, sometimes you actually need to talk to somebody, talk to an analyst or a therapist or whatever to try to like uncover what's going on. But yeah, I think you definitely can have... Um, Harmony, but I don't even know, I don't even know if harmony is the right way to put it. I mean, the emotions are coming out of the judgments. It's almost like there is a harmony. Um, but it's not easy to determine the underlying premises with which that emotion is in harmony, if you want to put it that way. Like, what are the premises that are generating that emotion? What's the harmony? And it's not, it's often, but, yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> but I would think, so part of what philosophy gives you is the ability to integrate it um, and just the idea so part of why it's important to have a theory about emotions the idea that they have causes what those causes are that they're in essence they're intellectual causes it's things that you think including the things that you might be mistaken about but there are ideas that you hold that are generating these that enables you to look for like when i feel something and i don't know why I'm feeling it. The place to look is, what am I thinking? What am I sort of concluding about this? What struck me? I had a, 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 a reaction to this. What was it that I was paying attention to that really seemed to trigger me? And what is it that I'm thinking about this? And more broadly, and this is part of the whole view of reason, you have a conscious mind and you have a subconscious mind. Or you have the ideas that you're thinking about, deliberating about, if you are thinking and deliberating, and all kinds of ideas that get stored in your mind as a result. One manifestation of which is emotions. That they come from your past thinking, your past conclusions. But more broadly, your thinking is an interaction between what I'm consciously doing now and things that I've thought about before and have been stored in my mind, including things that might be wrong. And part of philosophy is giving you tools to understand this about your mind and then to root out things. So, I mean, we've talked about altruism yesterday, and we're all brought up in an altruist culture. And I think without exception, everyone absorbs some of these ideas. And if you come to think that they're false, it doesn't mean that they're now gone from your mind. They're part of your subconscious, usually, and it takes work to identify them and to uproot them. And, but just knowing this about your mind is the first step to being able to do that. Yeah, let's do two quick follow-ups because I want to get the questions. One, um, uh, this is one of the things that people find empowering about objectivism, is the idea, I mean, I got this from philosophy who needs it. Uh, it was, oh, there are causes for this? Like, you can actually understand your emotional life, like where they come from, and then, but that, it, it, what was empowering was, if I, if I introspect, if I think about what were the judgments that led me to this, it's like, oh, I can actually now understand, it gives you a, a, a really important tool for understanding uh, those. Second, the idea about the sort of the subconscious or stuff is uh, I had a student in university who was from uh, Pakistan and we were, he was, he was in some of my philosophy classes and he was gradually starting to, 
he told me he's becoming an atheist. And he says, this is, he, he talked to me afterward. I mean, he was, he got out of Pakistan because his dad got him here because he was in like the lowest caste there and he couldn't have an opportunity. So he came to the U.S. He was studying finance or something like that. And um, he came to me afterward and he said, I find this actually terrifying. Uh, we've been told to the outset, you know, you will burn in hell. I can't tell my parents, you know, but he said, but intellectually, I think this is right. I, I don't think that there's a God. And my mind, my reason is leading me to the conclusion there's no God. It doesn't make sense to me anymore. And yet I wake up at night, like really afraid and stuff. And I told him, he's like, look, that past programming is going to keep reasserting itself. It's like you try to remove some program from your system and you didn't fully remove it and you're still getting, you know, printouts or in effect from it. You're still getting effects from it. And I said, yeah, that takes time uh, to reroute those and to, you know, replace those premises and get rid of them, uh, but it's, it's, that takes time. Thank you. Yeah. I have one question for Onkar and one question for Aaron, so not to overtax the crow, I'll ask it one at a time. Okay. Um, so Onkar, um, I've been listening to the course by Dr. Binswanger on free will, and mm -hmm. there he distinguishes between concentration and focus. Do we draw the same distinct, uh, distinction or not? Yeah, I mean, Concentration means, I think, undivided attention to one specific thing, one specific task. Often you'll say, like, I'm trying to concentrate at work. I'm shutting off email, Slack, my phone is on, do not disturb, and so on, because you're trying to direct all your energy to one task. I think that's when, typically when we're talking about concentrating, that's what we're talking about. So often, or most often, it, you do that in focus, that you, it, you're trying to concentrate, you're trying to figure this out, you're trying to work on this project that you never seem to get time for, now you're making time. You do that at full attention, so you do that in focus. But there is such a thing as concentrating as a form of evasion. There's such a thing as, I'm gonna just look at this, not see anything else, so it was, this will seem like it's the right conclusion because I'm not looking at anything else, I'm directing all my attention to this one thing that, uh, take the Brexit example again, some guy I hate said vote no, so I'm gonna vote yes, and that's what I'm focused on, that's all I'll look at, and that, that's not, you're not in focus, you're not actually have set, like the focus is a much um, more fundamental set of your mind, that what I'm trying to do is direct my effort and energy to understanding reality. And in that situation, the person's not, though you might say he's concentrating, but he's concentrating as a form of not seeing other things. Thank you for this angle. And Aaron, um, so you have spoken about faith and uh, objectivism introduces the concept of the arbitrary, which I think is a, is a, is a, is a very good answer to faith. Um, could you comment on the relationship between faith and the arbitrary? Well, when you think of what counts as the arbitrary, it's something asserted without evidence or without the need to even bring forward evidence. Uh, now, you could, upon some claim that's asserted arbitrarily, you could simply accept it on the basis of faith uh, because you don't have to look at the arguments. You don't have to look at the evidence. Um,
There's a relation there. I'm not sure exactly how I would put it because the first thing my mind goes to is, is it, is it right to think of if you accept something on faith, you're accepting the arbitrary? Um, what do you think about that? Because that, on the one hand, what I think about this, when I think about this, it's um, people will have some reasons to think what they do, but ultimately they hold it on faith. Um, so ultimately, if you show them that those reasons are bogus or they don't work out, like I had a student who would come to me in, in office hours and he would tell me, oh, I got this other argument for the existence of God. And uh, I'd show him what I thought was wrong with it. He'd go, okay, hold on, hold on, I got another one. And we went on, we did like three or four of these. And he goes, um, I, I, can I come back to office hours if I could find another one? And I asked him, he's like, hang on a second. If I, you give me 17 arguments and I show they're all false, would you drop the belief? And he thought about it a little bit. He said, no. And so it's like, yeah, but so what you're doing here is a pretense that you're offering reasons. And these, these reasons and the evidence and the arguments are what count. They're the basis on which you hold the belief, but they aren't. You're holding it for some other reason. So I think that is holding something arbitrarily. Because it, you know, well, it doesn't matter what the, what the evidence is. It doesn't matter what the arguments are. That's not what it turns on. What it turns on is, do I want to believe it? Um, and so I think you're believing it irrespective of evidence. Um, but do you have more to say on that? I think, it's, so they're both forms of emotionalism. They're both that I don't have evidence, I don't need evidence, my conclusion or viewpoint or idea might even defy the evidence, but I'm accepting it because I want to accept it. I think faith is more open that I say this is an alternative to reason. It's, yeah, I'm not going by reason, I'm going by faith. The, person who asserts the arbitrary is masquerading as that, no, I'm still concerned with reason, logic, proof, uh, take an arbitrary claim. The 9-11 was an inside job. Prove it ain't so. So the person's masquerading as, no, I'm, I'm interested in proof and so on. Can you prove that this didn't happen? I don't have any evidence that it was an inside job. Can you prove it wasn't? an inside job, and every time you bring, well, weren't these people mostly trained in Saudi Arabia and so on, so, yeah, but the U.S. government was funding it, prove it ain't so. And so, and it's, so it's, it's a masquerade as though they're engaged in logic, whereas the, I think faith more often is, yeah, no, we're doing something other than reason. So, but they're essentially the same, because they're both, it's a claims based on emotion without evidence. Uh, yeah, the way the way I see it is that uh, an arbitrary claim cannot be reduced to perceptual data, and in that in that sense, faith is is a product of arbitrary. But thank you for both the comments. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information go to einran.org.